This is three. This is not three, two, one. Contact. This is the Untitled Beatles podcast. Everybody, shut up. It is the 60th anniversary of Please Please Me. Three, two, one. Untitled Beatles podcast. It's a perfect slate. We finally gotten it. We're what? 40 episodes in, 42 episodes in, and we finally got it. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, perfect slate. There you go. The judges, thank you, judges. They all gave us tens. It's the Untitled Beatles podcast. Thank you so much. My name is Tony. And I'm TJ. And Tony, this week's episode, about to be a favorite of mine. Yeah, man. We are finally belatedly tackling... As we do, because we're big football fans. Tackle Beatles records. All my Beatles records are smashed because we tackle them so much, TJ. But we're finally getting around to Please Please Me on its 60th anniversary. I was going to make a CTE joke, but I couldn't remember. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Mixed reaction from the crowd there, TJ. Like the Stones saying, you're not the only one with mixed reactions. Yeah, so this album came out back in March 60 years ago, but we're going to finally do a deep dish. We've sort of overlooked the British releases here at the Untitled Beatles podcast. We have focused on American deep dishes. Tell you why, Tony. I don't know if this is going to air before the 4th of July or after the 4th of July or Lord willing on the 4th of July. (laughs) But I want to say something. Everywhere around the world, yeah. the Beatles are coming to America. Dun, dun, dun. I think that is a Spicer book. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and probably lots of books. Dun, dun, dun. Romantic singing about Beatles books. Dun, dun, dun. You're buying lots of Beatles books. Today, today I want the deluxe edition with a free PDF. Today, today. I want the deluxe covers, Bruce. Today. I'm out of money. <laughs> you know, TJ, maybe this will begin a uh, chronological deep dish of the very first four Beatle records. That'd be great. And as we talk about uh, Spicer, uh, the great Bruce Spicer, the author, for those who aren't familiar, everyone who knows who Bruce Spicer is who listens to the show, noted Beatle historian, a great writer of many, many books that we both own combined. When they're mm-hmm. out of print, you can't find them anymore. I'm touching two right now. Are we talking books? Are we talking balls? <laughs> uh, books. This time it's oh. books. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I won this round of books or balls. <laughs> Uh, how come they got to cancel books or balls and Tim Allen? <laughs> no, at any rate, Bruce Spicer's new book that comes out, I think, in the fall is about Please Please Me and with the Beatles, basically celebrating oh. the year 1963. And I mention that because it has me and many fans wondering, do you think that that anticipates a deluxe reissue of Please Please Me and with the Beatles using the deluxe technology? as this year's big uh, Christmas-type release instead of Rubber Soul? What do you think? That'd be a hoot, man. Yeah, I'd be all for that. Yeah, because the Please Please Me was recorded basically on a two-track. So, yeah, it'd be cool to use whatever the... uh, Let's face it, I think it's AI, right? I think it's AI. That's what it is, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's it's, uh, We we were calling it the Peter Jackson technology. Peter Jackson did the film Get Back, and he was able to extricate 
John's voice from a, a ropey little bit of cassette with AI. They could do, they tell the machine, that's a voice, this is a guitar, lose the guitar. And he did that. So he has great uses. Maybe we can take the squeaky bass drum sound off of the record. But see, that's maybe I don't I don't want that. I don't want the cough. I don't want the sniffles. I don't want any of that stuff gone. Uh, what I want is to finally hear in stereo, not just uh, the original. It's the original karaoke record. Please, please me. Right. Because you've got in stereo, you've got the band in the left and the vocals on the right. So Yeah, Tony, I think it'd be great to hear because as we're going to get to when we go track by track, please, please me. I mean, forget greatest debut album of all time. It's one of the Beatles best albums. It's it's just so (laughs) great. And I can't wait to deep dish it with you. This is a favorite of yours. This record. This is a favorite of yours. Yeah, this and A Hard Day's Night are my two favorite happy Beatles records. Yeah. I'd, I'd put Meet the Beatles on there and no slight to With the Beatles, just something about the way, uh, something the way Meet the Beatles just kind of explodes is such a great experience for me. But yeah, Agreed. in terms of Beatles records that are unadulterated joy start to finish, yeah, this and A Hard Day's Night top the joy list, I think. Okay, man. All right. So I, I'll, I'm with you on Hard Day's Night. But I've always ranked Please Please Me. It's my second least favorite record by this band. Uh-oh. Well, but uh, so I've, I've known you. I've known you a minute, as the kids say. Um, I've known you a New York minute. Ooh. Tony, everything can change. Um, yeah, man. Uh, I know that you're... I, I can name your three least favorite Beatles albums because I know you hate you hate production, so your least favorite's Abbey Road. Least your favorite. Second, <laughs> your, your second least favorite, of course, Please Please Me, and your third least favorite, which we've always disagreed on, is the Tony Sheridan record, <laughs> which is my number two. That's your two, yeah. After, uh-huh. after something new. <laughs> you put that in there, canon. That's like, yeah. It is canon. A great John lead. Uh Ain't She Sweet has a better vocal than Come Together. Someone had to say it. <laughs> Someone had to say it. Ain't that perfection. Someone had to say it. Someone had to put it on a t-shirt. By the way, you can get... That's all right. As that unmistakable that's music right. tells us, you can order Untitled Beatles Podcast merch uh, from untitledbeatlespodcast.com. And uh, yeah, we go through Tee Public. Oh yeah, feel free uh, before we, we delve deep deep into this uh album this controversial now album because i rank it lower while tj ranks it higher oh how's this gonna end i don't know tj it's like you're skip bayless and i'm a bigger asshole <laughs> hey i don't like that skip, don't really- you, you you cross the line <laughs> is that the guy skip from uh real people <laughs> would you welcome skip stevenson tonight nbc presents real people why are you making a real people reference at me? <laughs> what? I, hey, you dipping on me? That's a reference to a McDonald's commercial that tried to do like a R&B thing in the late 2000s. And oh. he, he looked at his girlfriend and goes, you dipping on me? <laughs> and I thought it was really yucky. I woke up and found you creeping. Oh, girl, I know your secret. You dipping on me. Got that McNuggets loving. You went to McDonald's? Weird. 
Isn't dipping that weird thing that like, like Christian kids do so that they're not having sex. Like the guy will like enter the woman and then they'll have a friend jump on the bed so that they're not the ones doing the gyrations. It's like the, the bed is doing the gyrations. Isn't that dipping? Uh, is it that or is it those same Christian kids going to a McDonald's and sticking <laughs> it in the back of a hot and sour? <laughs> if you know what I'm talking about. It's called soaking, not dipping. Soaking. Well, feel free to write a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, try and keep it nice. Keep it nice. <laughs> keep it sweet. Yeah, keep it sweet. We're also on Patreon. Get on the Patreon if you're feeling generous and you can donate and uh, join the the Casbah Club, the Cavern Club. Or the Star Club. And if or you're if the- you're really cheap, you'll be 50 cents and you're getting Double Back Alley. Double Back Alley, yep. Double Back Alley! But you get access to the Discord and we can you can chat with us. LL uh, on our Discord, she wanted to know if you got the new book Paul put out yet, TJ. 1964, Eyes of, of the Storm? Uh, may I be honest with you, LL? Yes. Are you LL? I'm going to wait for LL to answer. <laughs> She's in Australia. All, There's a time difference. Uh, LL, in full disclosure, I have still not even made it through the lyrics, that McCartney book. Yeah. Uh, I also just bought Mark Guarino's Country and Midwestern book. There are several. Uh, I, I'm embarrassed, but like there are five or six books I got to get through before I buy another fucking book, even a Beatles book I want. Yeah. I haven't read the last. Uh, I bought a bunch of the Spicer books on sale. Yeah. Uh, the album series books. And I made it through Get Back to Let It Be, but I still have to do Abby Road. Like, I, that's yeah. the problem. I still have to finish the Mystery Tour one. I think I still have to finish Sgt. Pepper too, but it, they're great books. Yeah. Same with the lyrics book. I haven't read all of them yet, but it's they're great. Yeah. Uh, that said, TJ, this book, it's a, it's a picture book. So not a lot of reading involved. I picture my books on a boat in a river where I can burn the ones with which I disagree. A radio station in Longview, Texas, organized a public bonfire of Beatle records. Interesting to note that the next morning after the record burning, the station was knocked off the air by a bolt of lightning that struck their transmitter and knocked the news director unconscious. I have not bought this book either, TJ. It's 275 photos here. Let's give Paul a plug, huh? The book is called (laughs) 1964 Eyes of the Storm. Retails for $75, TJ, but it's basically it's Paul's pictures he personally took with his 35 millimeter camera uh, from the end of 63 up to their first trip to America in 64. So uh, Liverpool, London, Paris, New York, D.C. and Miami are represented in these photos. How come there ain't no Chicago? (laughs) A new and dynamic city on the shores of Lake Michigan, Chicago. A man-made wonder of the world. What's the matter, Paul? You weren't enamored with the Maxwell Street Polish? Maxwell Silver Street Polish was not the name of an Abbey Road overproduced slick tune. (laughs) Maxwell Street is also a shopper's paradise. Bang, bang, Q-Mel. 
Yeah, that, I, I definitely do want the book. It looks obviously yeah. absolutely phenomenal. I just, you, you can't buy everything. At least with the music, you can put it on while doing 10 other things, even a picture book, uh, which is a kink song. Can we drop that? Yeah, I like that one. That was another song that got used in a commercial. Yeah. Did it? No. Yeah, it got used in a commercial a long time ago. forget what it was for hp digital photography well tj let's do it let's let's get into please please me the uk version this is the very first lp that the beatles released um we're gonna stick into the world of please please me um last year we covered early beatles the u.s version of this record and in that episode we went through a great detail about all the early american releases introducing the Beatles, et cetera. So if you want a deep dish on that stuff, just go back to uh, August of 2022 for that one. Halcyon days. Halcyon. <laughs> Every time I see that word, I think of the word falcon, I guess because it looks similar to that. Okay. Well, and you also have a falcon on your crest. <laughs> and do. one could say falcon crest aired in television's Halcyon days. <laughs> Please me. It is. I'll give you this, TJ. Yeah. All right. So it's not my favorite Beatles record, but I'm not going to argue that it is not an exciting record. It is a very exciting record. I like it, but I, I we're getting into fantasy world again. But imagine what other songs could have been on this record and how much more of a fucking ass kicker this album could have been in hindsight in the year. 2023 when we want things to be more ass kicking than people were doing in 63. But I would say that given what the musical climate was like in 63 worldwide world star, world star! I would say that what the Beatles did and what this album represents, especially at least one or two of the originals, this is ass kicking. Last night I said these words to my girl. I know you never even tried, girl. Yeah, Tony, where I think Please Please Me is so badass for 1963 is even some of the lyrical themes. The song Please Please Me is inherently badass. He's begging for sexual favors in the song Please Please Me. That's yeah. not happening by Neil Sedaka or who may even Elvis, who met whatever else is going on at the time. They're composing original material, at least one, maybe two songs of which are all-time Beatles classics. Um, and it is with an energy and an excitement that was heretofore unseen in pop rock music. So yeah, I'm not going to compare this as a debut to like Zeppelin one, which was what? 69 when is Zeppelin one. Right. So that's six years later. Music had changed a lot as a debut album. And as a debut album in the spring of 1963, this album contains an energy and a polish and a skill of songwriting acumen plus taste songs like misery and even uh, their, their covers, baby it's you with the Celeste overdubbed the 
evidence of taste and professionalism and the 10,000 hours they'd sweat in Hamburg and at the Cavern, Tony, result in this album. It's not perfect. I won't put this in my top five Beatles albums. Mm. I'm saying it's in my top two of... I want to be happy for 33 minutes. I'm going to put on Please Please Me. It's quick. It's almost like watching a rerun of a great sitcom you love. James, my baby's got me locked up in chains. And they ain't the kind that you can see. You know what's coming. It's wonderful. There's still thrills to be had. The run out of side one, I'd put up with any Beatles album. And by the way, Tony, how many Beatles albums have better openers than the opener on this record. Yeah, man. No, you're right. I, I won't argue. I, I refuse to argue. It's a fucking great record. Let's let's do it. March 22nd, 1963. It was released in the UK only on mono. Stereo version came out like a month later, April 26th. Number one on the charts for 30 weeks. Do you know what replaced it on number one? I don't. What was it? With the Beatles. Oh, that makes great sense. <laughs> Isn't that cool, man? And it was in the top 10 for over a year, which set a record for a debut album. Uh, yeah, recorded on the heels of Please Please Me, which, you know, basically went to number one. And yeah, it was kind of a strange decision that George Martin was like, let's make an album, you know? Little pop groups didn't make albums. Albums like adults bought albums, not stinky teenagers. They bought the 45, so... Yeah, man. And originally, he wanted to do a live album at the Cavern. Yes, they just couldn't figure out how to record it and make it work with all the screaming. And then they tried Hollywood Bowl several years later. <laughs> right, and then, and then it came out a decade after that. Uh -huh. I've been And again, this is fantasy, but imagine the cavern version of this record. Imagine hearing like some other guy on this record. Some other guy now, take my love away from me. Like all those like rockers that they do. It would be cool to hear a couple of those done in a way that is uh, live. The, the, the album was meant to have a live feel. And it definitely does, even in the way it was recorded. Like they don't use any baffling screens or anything like that. The drums are in the same room next to the amps, you know, and all recorded in the same room. So there's not many overdubs. There's not many edits. So it definitely has a live feel. It's a great energy record. Yeah. And Tony, remember, I mean, while, yes, it would have been great to have had some other guy here and some of the other, you know, cat, like hippie, hippie shakes, some yeah. of the other crazy cavern stuff, of course, would have been great. Uh, however, nobody forced the Beatles to pick the set list when they had to pick songs they knew and loved and could run through quickly in the course of a day. So these were songs the Beatles knew well, they yeah. picked, and they represent a diverse cross-section. You've got black girl groups, you've got 
a song from a play. I don't want to call Taste of Honey a song from a musical. It's not from a musical, but it's a mu- it's a song that was in a play. The theatrical song. Yes, yeah. it's it's a theatrical song. Um, you've got ballads. So, yeah, the construction of this album was the Beatles' decision running through songs that George Martin approved, and they just went go, go, go that one fateful day. Of yeah. course, augmented by the two singles. Right, uh, Love Me Do, P.S. I Love You, and Please Please Me, and Ask would Me ask Why. Ask Me Why, yeah. Which does violate the rule that they would uh, then set for themselves about like no singles on any British albums. Well, I know you don't want to talk about America, but that's why <laughs> introducing the Beatles left off Please Please Me and Ask Me Why, because they were singles. They reduced it from 14 to 12 <laughs> tracks. That's how VJ justified that. I don't want to talk about this. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Sorry, this is for Tony. <laughs> there, there is a, a cavern rehearsal tape that's somewhere like maybe October of '62, and you can hear them figuring out. I saw her standing there. It's like a rehearsal. To do one after 909 and Cat's Walk. Well, my baby said you're traveling on a one after 909. Move over, honey, traveling on that line. Yeah, you get an idea of what the cavern sounded like, you know, in a lo-fi kind of a way with those. Which are awesome. I'm sure we just dropped them and they are awesome. Indeed, man. But George Martin found the cavern to be unsuitable for proper British recordings. So, yeah, man, February 11th, 1963. This is in the middle of their package tour with Helen Shapiro. This is like one night in between all that. They have to get on the road the next morning. Yeah. Isn't that wild? Or the next day? I don't know. In what was then a brutal midwinter in Britain. Everyone was sick. It was just one of those terrible winters. They had a couple of those back-to-back in the early 60s. Yeah, I'm man. Tom Skilling. <laughs> <laughs> That's it from the WGN Weather Center. I'm Tom Skilling, and uh, thank you for visiting. When you turn to us, Yeah, man. It's, it's So the Beatles enter EMI in the morning. George Martin is the producer, Norman Smith at the console, and Richard Langham is the second engineer. Langham says it was a freezing cold day, TJ. We were outside getting all the gear out of the van. I noticed these bits of paper falling out of the amplifiers, little folded notes that the girls had thrown on stage they tossed into their amps. I knew right then that this was going to be a very interesting time. <laughs> I love like. Oh, paper in the apps. This is mm, nice. <laughs> this is out of control. These boys are risque. <laughs> These guys are crazy. <laughs> 
With paper comes paper cuts. <laughs> oh, I my guitar. I'm gently weeping. Write that down. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, you know, this is Abbey Road. This is London. This is St. John's Wort. They're used to seeing more refined people coming into these doors. So again, this kind of speaks to why this record came out and not the record that I'm trying to like fantasize about. <laughs> Beat yeah. the leathers. Gringo <laughs> began to sing boys and looked right at me. Not the Vegas show tune version of boys he's been doing since 89 that gets weirder by the day, but the original. I mean, it's true. Like in retrospect, especially as we record this in Pride Month, how fucking cool the Beatles' debut album has their male drummers singing a song about boys. That will always fascinate me. Yeah, I think this has been addressed a few times where they just weren't thinking about the lyrics, you know, and girls didn't rhyme with joys. So they just kind of like left it in. I've got a temple parody I call Goys. That I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to sing right now. Um, I've been told when a goy's in a shul. You weren't going to sing it right now. Just give <laughs> me one beat. And give it a beat. <laughs> <laughs> See, you learned from Tracy Chapman. Give me one beat to stay here. Um, yeah, it, this song was also a, it's the it's a little Beatle trivia for you. It's the only song the Beatles performed in their tour of France. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They played Paris. Just over and over. <laughs> oh, Ringo, Ringo. <laughs> the funny thing about France was it was boys screaming. It was very strange because uh, suddenly we had all, as you said, we had all these boys sort of chasing us all over Paris. We had visions of all these French girls, you know, ooh la la and all that. And hanging around the stage door all seemed to be a bunch of slightly gay-looking boys shouting, Ringo, Ringo. Well, Mark Lewison put it best in his uh, recording sessions book that I just tapped. There can scarcely have been 585 more productive minutes in the history of recorded music. A... He was in Canada when he said Is that. Lewis in Canadian? <laughs> yeah, he was. He wrote it in Canada. A lot of people don't know that. Hey. February 11th, TJ, was a Monday. This is a Monday. I never thought about that. Yeah, that's why Garfield hates this record. <laughs> <laughs> if only they had done a song about lasagna. <laughs> a taste of lasagna. Tasting much sweeter than calzone. do 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 uh, would you like to hear some facts about uh, Abbey Road Studios, TJ? Yes. Before it was called Abbey Road Studios. Yes, it was actually a EMI, right? They just called it EMI Recording Studios. Uh, and before that, it's it was a nine-bedroom residence built in 1831. The address is 3 Abbey Road. It's in the St. John... Is that St. John Wood? Didn't I say St. John Wart earlier? <laughs> yeah, I thought you were going to go on a thing about Ginkgo Biloba next, so I let you keep going. Ginkgo Biloba, Ginkgo Biloba, Loba, 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 Ginkgo Biloba. Studio 2, TJ, has a natural reverberation of 1.6 seconds. Producer, KC. Hmm. Can you give TJ 1.6 seconds of reverberation, please, on whatever he's about to say? Come on, come on, feel it. <laughs> wow, that sounds like it was recorded at Abbey Road. Excuse me, hey, EMI Recording Studio, Studio hey, 2. Casey, can you give me uh, 
the most reverb you've ever given me for 1.9 seconds, please? Three, <laughs> two, one. Dave Dexter was right. She's a woman needs this. <laughs> I forgot. No American stuff. God damn it. I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want to talk about that, TJ. <laughs> Let's go over the order of the songs were recorded. They had three sessions. The morning session started at 10 a.m. and went till about 1 o'clock. They started with There's a Place, then went into 17, as it was called, working title. They skipped eating and rehearsed during their lunch break, having only milk. Meanwhile, George Norman and Richard Langham were at the Heroes of Alma, having a pie and a pint. What kind of pie do you think they had, TJ? Gotta be flaming. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. But imagine that, a pie and a pint. I imagine it was a savory pie. Can you have a big blueberry pie for lunch? I don't think so. <laughs> this happens a lot on the show, so forgive me. I can buy your pints. <laughs> I can buy your pints. <laughs> it does happen a lot, yeah. I, I think it's a weird Alan Parsons thing. Alan Parsons makes the most residuals on this uh, off of this podcast. <laughs> For, for all the actual Beatles masters we drop, it's going to be the Alan Parsons project. That, but he was an engineer for the Beatles. He's an engineer. He sense. earned it. He earned it. But he wasn't engineering here. Not on this day. No, no. He no. hadn't started yet. Nope. The afternoon session, TJ, started at 2.30 and went till about 6 o'clock. They did three songs, A Taste of Honey, Do You Want to Know a Secret, and Misery. And then they were like, hey, we got to get cracking. So the evening session... They started with Hold Me Tight. Uh, wasn't working out. Mm-mm. We'll never hear that, man. That tape got destroyed. It's so unfortunate. I always think I've stumbled on an original take of it, and it's always from the With the Beatles sessions. Yeah, which was a remake. That's a remake, yeah. Uh, so then they fired through five covers at the end of the night. Anna, Boys, Chains, Baby It's You, and obviously Twist and Shout. We all and know that. In those last tracks you mentioned, you can hear John's voice getting progressively worse. Mm-hmm. As the day goes on, the sniffles and the crack in his voice. Yeah. yeah. The other thing I'd say, Tony, John Lennon's sick when this record's being recorded. Like, not like bedridden, but, you know, he's got a cold and his throat's raw. I think it's some of the best John Lennon vocals on any Beatles record. I think it's one of the reasons it brings me so much joy is... John's traditional vulnerability, which he was apparently born with vocally. Like, that's the fucking thing about John and Paul. They didn't need to grow as performers. Paul's rock performer stuff grew because, like, a lot of, like, the I drew the girl of my dreams, the DECA audition <laughs> stuff. And so it seems that I will love her or you. You are that girl in my dreams. He got a little less cheese ball with that stuff john i feel like don't you think john lennon came out of the womb with his voice formed i don't just mean the (laughs) voice in his heart i mean his vocal cords like his singing on this record the beatles first record with a sore throat and a cold is some of the best rock singing on any rock record ever made and i don't think that's a hot take or crazy no that's it's very much so yeah twist and shout twist and shout come on come on come on come on baby I don't know if he was chasing after that sound for the rest of his career or anything like that, but I always feel like maybe 
He was most happy playing this early rock and roll music and channeling into that bit. I think with a lot of the other stuff, he, was, he didn't like his voice and was always trying to change it and things like that. But I, I wonder if he was always going for this, this rock and roll Zoobs sound or whatever. It's the only thing he was ever still a fan of when he disavowed himself of Dylan and disavowed himself of a, a, a lot of the politics. Yeah. All he cared about was the old rock and roll music. Bebopalula and all that. Wampamaluma, wampamboom. <laughs> Baba Bowie. Well, you know, TJ, this day's session cost 400 pounds. That it's about $9,000 in today's bread. Mm. Go fund me. <laughs> yeah, go fund the Beatles. Yeah, their GoFundMe got about 100 pounds of this, so... Hi, I'm TJ Shanoff on behalf of Calderstone. The pandemic was hard for us, only releasing nine Beatles reissues. <laughs> Please enjoy Yellow Submarine in this ad. And no, not a cover. We're using the original one so that you associate Ringo Starr singing with Airbnb. <laughs> I still take Airbnb over Air O. Smith. <laughs> Musically. <laughs> Hi, this is Steven Tyler. And I'm Joe Perry, one of the Toxic Twins. One more time. <clears throat> I'll say Toxic Twins. No, I want to say it. I came can up say with Toxic it. Twins. We have coke, we have weed, we have all that you need. Do the backstage boogie with the Toxic Twins at Smith. Come on, get OD'd with us. And per the Musicians Union, TJ, each Beatle collected seven pounds and ten shillings. That's about 167 bucks in today's dollar. Now, if you would like to recreate this session note for note, you're going to have to take a trip down to Gearhead's Basement, where they're having a please, please me blowout sale. You need a red 37 mixing console with V72S preamps, a BTR two-track machine. You're going to need a few Newman Telefunken U47 condenser mics. For Ringo's overhead, you're going to need an STC 4038 ribbon mic and an AKG D20 dynamic mic for the kick drum. Good news, no bafflings were used. Save money on those. Of course, you're going to need some gear at Gearhead's Basement. How about a 1958 Rickenbacker 325, a 1957 Gretsch Duo Jet, a 1961 Hofner 500 violin bass? And of course, no, not a Ludwig kit. We don't have that yet. A 1960 Premier Duo Plastic 5854 Mahogany Kit with Zildjian cymbals, Gibson J160 acoustic guitars, two Vox AC 30 amps, a Vox T60 bass cabinet with an AC 100 amplifier, and if you act now, I'll throw in a PS I Love You bongo set and maracas, it's an all. Please, please me, blowout sale. All prices negotiable, all sales final. Where Andy White shops. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, all the gear that is for the most part used so thank you for hearing it in that format my friend that was legitimately fab and gear that grotty grotty yeah grotesque let's do the front cover huh yeah by your favorite photographer in the history of oh my are you talking about angus mcbean I, <laughs> I had that veggie burger at culver's a few weeks ago <laughs> Uh, it is an iconic cover. I do still love this cover. I think it's a great cover. It's very of its time, but also classic. It says, The Beatles, Please Please Me with Love Me Do and 12 other songs. Yes, the famous photo at EMI, taken by Angus McBean, purveyor of comedic gadgets, including <laughs> itchy powder, fake dog doo-doo, and those uh, ice cubes with ants in them. Good stuff. 
<laughs> and depending what's gone out of the food court, real vomit. <laughs> <laughs> what up, great steak and potato? <laughs> yeah, the, the cover's great, Tony. And also on the cover, uh, up through the last vinyl pressings of this, uh, the stereo mono designation yeah. really makes it a relic of its time. A lot of the Beatles albums. Oh, I love that you have. Wait, which pressing is that? This is the two, 2009 pressing. I'm holding the stereo 20, uh, 2009. It's it's a great pressing. The first pressing I ever had is a stereo British pressing from the late 70s. Oh, that's cool, man. And this is just a basic Parlophone pressing. But yeah, the first one I ever had of this was stereo. And like the covers all faded out and stuff. But yeah, it's it's a delightful cover. And the fact that a variation of a shot was uh, used for 62 to 66 yeah. kind of cements this look. But it's interesting to remember, Tony, this cover, Please Please Me, was not released in the States until 1987 when the CDs came out. So yeah. this record here was, unless you had an import, foreign to Americans until... The uh, first quarter of February, I think, of 1987. It's wild. Yeah, it is wild. You know, there's another outtake, too, that was used from this session on... Uh, it's their third British EP. It's called The Beatles, parentheses, number one, N-O dot one. Yes, which is four songs from this record. Right, right. Yeah, that's right, right number, number one. one. The font, TJ, should we... I mean, I know we just came from Gearhead's basement, but shall we go to Font Lover's Corner? Font Fonzie says, hey, let's do Font Lover's Corner. Oh, thanks, Fonz. Welcome to Font Lover's Corner. Today's font in question. Actually, there's two fonts. The Beatles is in Compacta, created by Fred Lambert, reminiscent of narrow stenciled fonts of the 1920s. Please Please Me uses Aurora Grotesque, created by Johannes Wagner Foundry in 1912. It was the definitive big sign font before Helvetica became popular, prompting many older topographers at this year's font fest to shout, make Aurora grotesque again. <laughs> no! Yeah, grotesque. Uh-uh! <laughs> Thank you for visiting Font Lover's Corner. Fonts, fonts, love those fonts. Thank you. It's always good to take a trip there to Font Lover's Corner. <laughs> Is it, though? Font Fonzie <laughs> says, oh, manga reference. I sound like dice with sanitized language. I'm going to fucking hit this jukebox and make it fucking play. <laughs> Andrew Dice Fonz. Andrew Fonz Clay, right? <laughs> oh, that's Looking at the back cover now, TJ. Yeah, what was it? Tony Barrow, their press officer. I love that, a press officer. He's the one who composed that stuff. He's got multiple stripes, and he gets to use the um, all the restaurants on the cruise ship. <laughs> Is that right? That's how it works. That's what a press officer gets. <laughs> and they get a, an extra copy, Tony, of the Freestyle Daily, the Norwegian <laughs> Cruise Line newsletter. <laughs> Freestyle cruising. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's it's a fun read. If you've ever gotten out around to reading it, it's it's that kind of like polite British hype talk. That's it's like just it's one uh, one level under Andrew Lou Goldham. Yeah, and almost more tongue in cheek or funny. Like it's it's not funny, but it's just written in a British way that appears funny to me. It's always all the British writing when I first got my hands on this, it's very funny. It's different than the yeah, 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 these Liverpool mop tops 
from yeah. the American LPs. The fans bought half the tickets by post and then 5,000 queued, some of them for two nights, in hope of obtaining the rest. Here are some of the lucky 2,500 who really are going to see the Beatles at the ABC Ardwick Manchester. And on the back cover, Tony, one of my favorite paragraphs on a Beatles record, producer George Martin has never had any headaches over the choice of songs for the Beatles. Parentheses, Tony, this is their fucking debut album. Back to the notes. <laughs> their own built-in Toonsmith team of John Lennon and Paul McCartney has already tucked away enough self pen numbers to maintain a steady output of all original singles from now until 1975. <laughs> Listen to what the man says indeed. <laughs> It's so neat. Speaking of 75. All right, okay. <laughs> I love, though, also in the lower corner, there's an ad. Use Emetex cleaning material. The use of Emetex cleaning material will preserve this record and keep it free from dust. It's it's so funny. Of course, the great Parlophone logo. Parlophone had much less interesting label variations than Capital did in the States. Capital had the rainbow throughout the 60s, and then, of course, right. went to the Apple label. Parlophone was some, and this one especially was some iteration of black and gold, or then in the by the 80s, it was black and silver. Um, but the Parlophone logo that looks a bit like the pound sign when I was a kid, the Parlophone logo always looked like the pound sign to me, which was neat. It was, and most notably on the Revolver album, we have the Capital logo in the States and the, um, Parlophone sign uh, worldwide. It's so neat. It's very cool, man. Very cool. TJ, did I just see you remove your please, please me CD from a long box container? (laughs) Yes, my friend, I saved all of the long boxes from my Beatles CD purchases, which I bought either for most of them as they came out. And as I mentioned on the show before, for the first four Beatles CDs in early 1987, my father and I went to See Here Records, which was across the street from Second City on uh, Well Street. It's now it's a nail salon. Do you remember See Here? It's yeah. it, was, it was just west of um you know uh Lums Boston Chicken. Did it have like a, an eye and an ear on the sign or Yes, I, it did. Right? On, yeah, on the yes, on the west side yeah, of the street. I, I remember that. Yeah, man. Or south side of the street, I mean, yeah. And that that was a close record store to our house. We had that and we had downtown records, but cuz we lived off North Avenue, so we had to sign up Tony. We had to put our names down. There was no money exchange, I don't think. I was in 7th grade at the time. So my father paid for it. Thanks, Dad. He gone, but I miss him every day. Um, But we had to sign up for the first four CDs because the demand was so high. We saw in Channel 5 News that, hey, stores are going to sell out of these. So we pre-ordered these in 1987, Tony. Isn't that funny? They're going to sell out. I love it. Yeah. (laughs) That is funny. Now there's a new high-tech invasion of Beatles compact discs. The customers here are lucky because this store was able to get the new discs in stock. I called them up over here today, and they did have them, so I came right over. Nice ride, but it was worth it. The demand from record stores is so high, suppliers can't fill all the opening day orders. They're in a state of panic. Music lovers say the new compact discs produce a much better sound than conventional records or tapes. Many customers of these new CDs already own all of the Beatles' vinyl albums. The music sounds fresh. That's... You know, it's real fresher than uh, ever before. Well, it does start off, man. It starts off amazingly. I, I, I won't argue with you. This is like 
if not uh, their best, one of their best openings to an album. I saw her standing there. You turn it up loud, man. Turn it up loud. One, two, three, five. how kind of risque this album is comparatively with a song like Please Please Me. If you close your eyes hard enough, Paul McCartney's not saying four. He's saying he's saying fuck. <laughs> he's not saying four. He's saying one, two, three, F-U-H at the least, right? And the way she take nine. One, two, three, I tell you what, man, because it's take nine. This is take nine. And they've had a few false starts here and there. And uh, they had like a good take two, I think, or maybe a good take one. They had a good early take, take but it was. Take two's great. Take two. I got one, two, three, four. That's what it is, yeah. Uh, Paul got the idea while driving back from a show at Queens Hall in Widness on October 22nd, 1962. Yeah, he was going back to Rory Storm's place, Hurricaneville, they called it. (laughs) I love that Jimmy (laughs) Buffett-themed restaurant. (laughs) Yeah, man. You you, you go to his other place, and then if you want to just get, like, bombed out of your head, you go to Hurricaneville. (laughs) Just stiff Jimmy Buffett drinks. Steve! Stop! Well, it was uh, supposedly written for Paul's girlfriend, Iris Caldwell. That was Rory's sister. Uh, he sketched out an early version of it, and Rory asked if he could have the song for the Hurricanes, to which Paul verbally agreed. Mm. Isn't that wild? So this could have been a Rory Storm and the Hurricanes song that we've... It- Never heard. It's like Rory Storm's <laughs> the original Dick James, just trying to steal Beatles music. <laughs> yeah, immediately. Like, yeah, it's not even done. His hands are still on the guitar. Give me that song. <laughs> You're dating my sister. Give me that fucking song. <laughs> um, and then a few days later, though, Paul hitchhiked to London with another girlfriend, 17-year-old Celia Mortimer. Uh, and then he was just walking around. I guess they went to the zoo and he's improvising lyrics about the chimpanzees or whatever. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he, he came up with tunes there. According to Celia, he said, what rhymes with we danced through the night? And I came up with we held each other tight, which was really quite naff, but he used it. So still waiting on uh, royalties, I think. Yeah. Well, you can't Celia. afford it, Celia? <laughs> what is, is Celia the original Denny Lane? <laughs> Not going to... Not going to send him a check, Paul? Come on, Paul. Yeah, man. (laughs) No. But uh, it seems, yeah, John and Paul finished it up at 24th Lynn Road. John may have come up with the you know what I mean line. Originally about uh, Beauty Queen was the first line. 
Yeah, I believe the line Paul pitched when he sang to John was never been a beauty queen. And John was like, no, no, no. And Paul's like, okay. And it been in very typical John fashion to come up with, you know what I mean? You know, it's all in the mind, you know? It allows you to kind of <laughs> interpret that however you want to. Yeah. And in, wow. in later years, it became a statutory situation. Yeah. <laughs> Soon you will be 18. I think you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, Paul talks about it in his lyrics book. He actually, Jerry Seinfeld makes an appearance on, in this song, in the in the lyrics book. Yeah, I saw Jerry Seinfeld do a bit about it at the White House uh, when McCartney was honored for the Gershwin Prize by Barack Obama. Sir Paul, you have written some of the most beautiful music ever heard by humans in this world. It's my favorite music that I've ever heard in my life. I love you for it. And yet, some of the lyrics, and some of the songs, as they go by, you can make one unsure, even concerned sometimes about what exactly is happening in this song. (laughs) Songs such as, I saw her standing there, and I quote, she was just 17, you know what I mean. (laughs) I'm not sure I do know what you mean, Sir Paul. I think I know what you mean. The Master of This is Great. It is one of the true Beatles classics. Like I said, one of the best openers. Paul does this to this day in concert. And Tony, listening to this, it's another case of like, yeah, I want to hear the song in mono. Yeah, man. Yeah, I totally agree. I listened to the stereo version of this record for this show uh, a few days ago. And then yesterday I put on the mono. And just for me as a listener, I just love the mono sound the best. I feel like this record I most enjoy in mono. Well, this and with the Beatles were the least controversial when they came out on CD in mono because they were acknowledged as the most primitive. I think people questioned why Hard Day's Night and Beatles for Sale didn't come out in stereo initially, Tony. Yeah, And I've read some stories that say that the reason for that is Capital wanted to get them out and George Martin didn't have time to prepare them in stereo. Ah, yeah. So okay. again, in very typical Capital, rush, 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 you know, money first, product second. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this uh, there are some songs on this album I do prefer in stereo, but I think to your point, yes, mono's the definitive way to hear this record. I'll never with another Oh, and I saw her stand This is the first Beatles song to feature the high falsetto ooh, which became a, a live cue for girls to scream, wet their pants. Just the ones who were incontinent, not Just, out of excitement, but the ones who had <laughs> yeah. struggled. Yeah, I usually include incontinent folks whenever I speak publicly. <laughs> hey, where are all my seat pisses at? Love you people. You people need love too. Clean up after yourselves. All right, where was I? Yeah, seat geek, more like seat leak. <laughs> seat geek leak <laughs> at seat geek our wet tickets are the cheap tickets it's also the first guitar solo on a beatles record uh canon record not including tony sheridan stuff this is the first uh fab four 
guitar solo. Not overdubbed either. Done mm-hmm. live. And one he had to find. I mean, the early takes of this is not as good of a solo. One of the reasons I think this takes stuck is I think it's George's best solo. Another edit piece, uh, take, same edit piece rather, take five. Possible influences include Young Blood by the Coasters. I saw her standing on the corner. Chuck Berry's Little Queen. She's too cute to be a minute over 17. And the melody of When the Saints Go Marching In. Which they did with Tony Sheridan. Yeah, this song, Tony, as a reminder, was not a single. It wasn't even on the B-side of I Want to Hold Your Hand, of course, which came later. I Want to Hold Your Hand. In the UK, the B-side was this boy. In the States, this was the B-side I Want to Hold Your Hand. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if this song was, quote unquote, more popular or famous in America because of the millions and millions of copies sold of the I Want to Hold Your Hand 45, this being its B-side. But I think on either side of the pond, it's one of the most famous of the early Beatles songs. Yeah, man. Even though he nicked the bass line off of uh, Chuck Berry's I'm Talking About You. Let me tell you about a girl I know. I tell you now she looks so good. Got so much skill, such a beautiful bill. She ought to be somewhere in Hollywood. I'm talking about you. I played exactly the same notes as he did, and it fitted the number perfectly, says Paul. And by the way, Paul plays that bass line great. When John's singing, I'm talking about you. Great BBC cover of that that Paul plays that bass line on. Which also could have been a cool song for this album. But but I digress. some retrospective assessment tj okay this original it's great for 63 but is it better than the tiffany version from 1988 it reached number seven on the charts tj i'm so glad you brought it up this is one i you can't see this but in the video she does this with her hand she's going up and then to the left and she's doing this choreo with her hand and this was one of those ones that at camp that summer was fucking huge and i was angry was 
random, angry 14-year-old being like, well, I, I don't care. I don't care. Yeah, in five years, the Lemonheads are going to cover Miss Ro- Mrs. Robinson. I won't care about that either. Okay, right now, stop. So you prefer the original? I do prefer the original, okay. yes. Are there any other, are there any other great covers of this? Um, Jerry Garcia Band did a decent one in, I think, the Run for the Roses album. From the uh, Jerry Garcia Band 1982 album Run for the Roses, I think, on Arista Records and Tapes. Hey, you got it right. Nice pull, TJ. Hello, it is producer Casey, and we are out of time, but we'll be back next week with part two. Also, while I have you, mark your calendars because Tony, TJ, and I will be at the one and only Fest for Beatles fans in Chicago this August, the 11th through the 13th. Rumor has it that one of the events will be our first ever live audience Untitled Beatles podcast recording. More details to come, but hopefully we will see you there. That's all I've got. Have a great and safe July 4th, unless you're listening from the UK, in which case I guess I wish you a solemn lost cause day in remembrance of the war of colonial aggression. I don't know what you guys do. Untitled Beatles podcast. Like and subscribe. 